the gladiator. This is the gladiator, your host, Abe Collins, DEA retired special agent, bringing to you another interesting DEA legend story. And today we have our guest, who is John Mark Chisholm, a co-worker of mine. We both worked with DEA together. We, be, we both began back in 1990 and 1991. And I'm proud to introduce John Mark Chisholm. John Mark, come on, man, and introduce yourself. Hey, it's good to see you, brother. It's been a while, but uh, yeah, we had some good times back in the 90s. We wrecked some havoc on some drug dealers around Memphis, Tennessee. That's for sure. And uh, we both did. And I, it's yeah. good to see you, brother. Yeah, I good consider to see you a friend for all these years. Yes, yes, yes. So, Mark, we kind of we kind of was in the academy at the same time. What do you remember about how we first met? Well, I remember being at the academy. Let, let me tell an interesting story about how I even got with the. Because yeah, I had yeah. been a, I had been a, uh, uh, an English teacher for, for almost ten years, had a master's degree, and I was teaching English at a local school here around the Shelby County area, and coaching wrestling. And I had a father come up to me one day, Tommy Stafford. You mean you remember Tommy, don't you? I remember Tom Stafford. Yeah. He came up to me one day after practice and said, "Hey, Mark." I'm a DEA agent, and we're getting ready to have some hiring going on. And I think you'd you'd really be good at it, and you'd really really enjoy it. I said, yeah. "Oh yeah." Now let me tell you something. I didn't even know what DEA stood for. <laughs> me, me, me either. Me either. <laughs> I had no idea. I heard of FBI and CIA, but I had no idea what the DEA was. So I went and did some research on it, and you know, I've been a teacher for a long time, had a master's degree. Yeah. When I saw what DEA was and the, the opportunity and the fact that I'd make about twice the money I'd make after being a teacher with a master's degree for 10 years, uh, I applied, I guess it was in 1989. Because, you know, back yeah. in the day, it took a long time for them to do all that background stuff. And right. uh, I, I got hired in uh, December of 90 and went to the academy in 91. And I think you came along, what, about uh, two Can't months worry. later? February of 1981. And I, and I will say, I put my application in in uh, November of 1988. And I didn't get hired till, um, you know, like January of 1991. And I know how long it took. That's over two and a half, almost about two years, two and a half years. Yeah. Well, you knew they were going to lose your paperwork at some point. So you, just, you had to always make sure you had all your copies of your paperwork. The headquarters gonna lose that paperwork at some point. Yeah, yeah. At some point, they would they would lose that paperwork. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, as you along in this one, and there's a lot of stuff we, we might miss and cover. We were both of us part of the DEA task force there at Memphis, and we, and the DEA task force was kind of in its infamous stage. It was like early on, and and the money we seized and the assets we seized was a big deal. You know, it really yep. became a big deal. And the whole Atlanta division, I mean, we were like the stars of the whole Atlanta division, the work we were doing. Yeah, yeah. And Atlanta was a big division then. It covered like North Carolina, South Carolina. 
Georgia, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I think that was it. But sure now, did. I think I think they didn't broke it up. Uh, yeah, I think they're in more. Louisville now. I think they yeah. moved it to Louis- Tennessee's in Louisville now. Yeah, and that don't make no sense. <laughs> that don't make no sense to me. Oh, politics, brother. Yeah, politics something else. So, uh, you was involved in one of the biggest cases, man, that I can remember uh, as far as big cases. This was the biggest case at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it involved some Memphis drug dealers and some Houston drug dealers. So why don't yeah. we just um, work our way on into that one and then you kind of okay. start from the beginning. Yep. Well, yeah, this case has become pretty worldwide famous now because of something that happened later we'll get to with President Trump and uh, in his presidency. But it, it began for me back in about 1993. I got a call from uh, some HIDA agents, or, uh, one of them actually a customs agent in Houston, Texas. And oh, so they what? had been. Uh-huh. Well, what is HIDA? Can you just explain us what is HIDA? Yeah, HIDA stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. And, 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 that, and that's that time, group, and that's the group yeah. within DEA, right? Yeah, it was yeah. In, within DEA, and it was in, they were housed out of the Houston office, and they have agencies from everywhere: Customs, Harris County Sheriff, you know, DEA, all those agencies around there. And I got a call from them one day that said, uh, hey, we're investigating this Colombian named Ramon Ramirez. Okay. And we, he, he was known as Fabian on the street. And he's bringing in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilos. And we've been looking at his phone records and some of the things. And he's calling some numbers in Memphis. Would you be interested in looking, trying to figure out what's going on? And I said, yep, I certainly would. So they... I started getting with them and we started looking through the, some of these records that Fabian was calling up here and identified who he was calling. And it was Alice Johnson and Curtis McDonald at that time, mainly okay. Alice. And then I found out later what the connection was. Alice had a relative, a female relative. I don't know, she, I really to this day, don't know if she was a niece or a cousin and she had moved to Houston and somehow she had met Ramon Ramirez, the Colombian cartel member, Fabian. Mm-hmm. And during that time, Alice had lost her job at one of the big corporations here. Okay. Now, Alice was just a normal citizen. She didn't have a record. She was a mother raising kids in the suburb, not about three miles where I'm sitting right now. And uh, so we started looking into this and come to find out she was the contact for Ramon Ramirez. And Ramon and Ramirez was he, he Colombian living in Houston? He was a Colombian. He was the he was one of the cartel representatives living in Houston, and they were literally bringing warehouses full of cocaine. Come to find out that because of the connection between Alice's relative and him, she got in a drug business that way. That's like a story. I mean, who who believes this? This is. This housewife gets into the drug business and becomes one of the biggest deals ever just by happenstance. Well, she didn't know how to sell drugs. So she did. So to bag it up, Alice was a, a she was a housewife, you say? Or, or was she a, uh, you said she was a housewife. Was she? Well, she lived in suburbs and she she had a job at one time and and she had become unemployed in one of, from one of the biggest corporations 
here in the Memphis area. And because of that, I guess she had some time on her hands. Okay. And she knew a guy named Curtis McDonald who actually, he was from up in the North Memphis area, Breedlove, Jackson. You know what I'm talking about in that area. And yeah. he had he, he had some street knowledge and had some folks that were on the street. I don't know what their relationship was exactly, but they became partners in the drug business. And so Curtis became- You don't know if they were boyfriend and girlfriend or not? I, no, I can't say that. I know they spent a lot of time together, but I, I don't know how they met. I, I don't have any proof that anything was going on other than them being drug partners. Curtis was married and lived up in Fraser. And uh, so I don't know, but he did have some folks. You remember Babro and some of them people out there on the yeah, street? Andre Johnson. I remember Babro. Andre Johnson. Him. Brother. That's Andre him. Andre Johnson. Yeah. I remember Andre Johnson testified to something I never will forget. I never will forget he, when, when they asked him, uh, would he have killed this person? I think I understand. You probably could tell it better than I did, but I just remember he saying, no, no, I wouldn't have killed it myself. I would have, uh, I think, paid, I would have hired somebody to go do it for me. I wouldn't have done it. Is, is yeah. I'm telling that right or what? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know what happened because of that testimony right there? Mm-hmm. You remember the infamous case where a uh, guy killed the mother and her son and it dumped them in the grave down there in South Memphis. And yeah. the next day they had a funeral and Diane covered and them Taylor. up in the grave. Donald Taylor, yeah. Denver, something like that, Taylor. Well, you know, one of that's one of the, one of those young guys that got killed was Babro's partner. And so the guy who got charged with that, he went to trial. He subpoenaed me to his murder trial. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to testify that I knew that Babro would kill people. Well, of course, you know, DEA wasn't going to let me get on the stand and testify, so I never had to. But I had to go to state court and sit there all day. Um, yeah. So so that but, was the infamous uh, graveyard case where they killed his, the, the woman and her son, and they found... Another a, young guy, like a cousin or something, too. They found a dug grave and buried the bodies under... In the ground, put some plywood on top of them. Yeah, they and, put them in the bottom of the grave and then put some plywood on top of them. And there was actual burial the next day, mm-hmm. and the burial uh, took place in, in the casket was lowered down on them, unbeknownst to the people who, who funeral it was. And man, I hey, thought that was something. Hey, we ain't that making was, this stuff up, man. This really that was, some slick, that was some slick shit right there. So yeah, they they, they found the bodies. Somehow, somebody told. Well, his partner, the guy who he he eventually told him, he told the police. I don't know if it was his conscience or he got in trouble, but he told the police, hey, this is what we did. That's how he got. They went and dug the grave up and pulled the plywood up, and there's those three bodies underneath it. It was three bodies? Yeah, there was the mother and her son and then another young guy. I I can't remember what his name was. Damn, and that was all connected to Bay Bro and this this group we talked about. Yep, yep. And one of those guys that got killed um, was was Bay Bro's main partner. Yeah, I remember either uh, a Diane a Taylor. I just remember her name was something like that. I, I may be wrong. I don't want to get. I don't want to say call her name is not right. So, uh, back to the uh, the Allison and, and Curtis mm-hmm. scenario, right? Well, we were, you know, back in those days, 
if you remember, because you and I, we kind of getting a little long in the tooth now. You know, that was like the dark ages. We didn't really yeah. have internet. We didn't, we couldn't do digital phone calls and stuff. So what we began to do was have to subpoena these phone records. And literally, I mean, I must have read 20,000 pages of phone records going through yeah. there and identifying numbers. And yeah. uh, I remember I went to hotels in Houston. I'm in their dusty old records room going through moldy boxes of records and kicking the you know the rat turds off the paperwork and all that so i can yeah. find records because we would get information about when they were there and then we started doing surveillance and all of that and that's how the case really started and, and that's how it went on for months until we got the big break with mose williams so i remember uh, these guys from houston uh a guy named Butch. I remember this guy yeah. named Butch. He was a Harris County deputy. Butch and this other guy were um, task force Rich officers. Kane. Rich the Kane. Rich Kane. Yeah. yeah. The, he they was a customs come, agent. They used to come to Memphis quite a bit. They actually seemed like they was living there. But they were being out. I, I felt like I lived in Houston during that time. I was down there almost all the time. Almost all the time. And they were bringing information and and working this case and they was talking about how big how big this organization were uh all of that it wasn't my case but you know i paid attention to it and yeah y'all start identifying people because you was working with luke shaver wasn't you uh he came in later on he came he in came later in on later on he got he had a guy who named last name was willis that, that knew something about Maurice Mundy. And I was going to get to Maurice Mundy, yeah. if you remember him, uh, yeah. who actually became, you know, he was going to one of the uh, best colleges and universities in the area, getting a degree in business. And he kind of sort of became their money guy, figuring out how to work on their money. And, and he became a part of that. And that's how Newt came. Brad Wyatt, the IRS agent, was my main partner. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and then of course all you guys. I mean, y'all y'all were the ones that were that were doing the work, and then you know, but most of it was just me and Brad going to these places and looking through all these records until the day that we got the big break from Houston with Mose. And the big break, I kind of remember uh, we were doing surveillance on I forty outside of uh, of uh, West Memphis. Almost, we were, didn't they, how, how, tell me how that kind of went. This, I this is what happened. A guy, a middle-aged guy by the name of Mose Williams, who was working for Curtis and Alice, he went to Houston to get some cocaine. So well, Rich and them were, yeah, Rich and them were, were doing surveillance and they saw him. And they saw him go to one of the load houses where the, where the dope was and saw him pulling in the garage and, a little while later, he pulls out, and they're following him. Well, okay, they, okay. they let me stop you for a minute. Okay, I want you to explain what a load house is. What is a load house? Is a load house a warehouse? Is a regular house? Well, or how do they identify a load house? Well, most these was this was just a regular house, so it looked like that people were just coming and going in a residential area, and they would rent these houses. 
they had made sure they had garages so they and they would fill you know Abe, you remember some of these places they they would have bedrooms filled with cocaine from the floor to the ceiling they had so much of it yeah and, and so it was, it was in a residential area they had a, mm -hmm. a two-car garage more than likely yep. and it was probably was renting renting the place and they probably paid they didn't have no problem paying rent no <laughs> Buku's amount of money all it was yeah. is a regular house with a lot with, with traffic with suspicious traffic coming yep. in and, and of course rich and butch and his team they had identified this as one of the load houses and so they were just watching it one day and saw this little gold car with Tennessee tags pull up and go in the garage. And so they sit and watch it. A little bit later, this little gold car pulls out uh, and takes off down the road. And they hits the interstate. They stop it. Well, it's a guy from Memphis named Mose Williams. Mose Williams. I remember Mose. I yep. remember Mose. And they, uh, they searched the car and there were 50 kilos. 50 kilograms kilos. of cocaine. 50 cocaine. kilograms of cocaine in a hidden compartment in this car. And uh, so they talked to Mose, and Mose agrees to do a controlled delivery, which let me explain what, what is that controlled is. delivery? It's when the courier agrees to cooperate and under the supervision of law enforcement, deliver that cocaine to the main targets. To the, so intended, Mose, to the people that is intended for. Yeah, here in Memphis. He was bringing it to Memphis to Alice and Curtis. He was bringing it to a particular house where he brought, we come to find out later, he brought thousands of kilos to this house and picked up millions of dollars at this house. Yeah. And he agrees to cooperate. And so Rich calls me and says, hey, I, don't know, I mean, it was early in the morning. And he called yeah. me, he said, hey, we, we stopped this dude. He wants to cooperate. Uh, we're headed your way. And so I called our bosses and we got some of the Memphis OCU guys. You remember back then, Memphis OCU, man, they were one of the best drug units in the nation. Back yeah. then, Chuck Bryant and Dave Martello and those guys were, were over right. And so yeah. they came yeah. out to help us. And some of us, did you go out on I-40 to meet Mose and them? Yeah, yeah. I was out right there. Yeah, we went out there and we met them on I-40 coming this way. I think I met them over somewhere around Little Rock. And met Mose and, and he agreed he had agreed to cooperate. Well, sorta. Of. But you remember, you know, one of the biggest challenges with controlled deliveries is by the time they talk to him and flip him, and these guys know what time the dope should be in Memphis. Yeah. And it, it's always late. So always Mose late. was Mose was much later than he should have been. So we're surveilling him and we're following back to Memphis. And somebody actually sees Alice and Curtis in a car on the interstate. Do you remember what kind of car? I just remember it was a little maroon car. It was, I don't remember what kind of car it was. But yeah. somebody, I think it may have been Butch, it was either Butch or Rich, said, I, I'm pretty sure Alice and Curtis just passed us on the interstate. Well, what we didn't know at that time, but found out later, was that Curtis and Alice had seen the load car and Mose driving it, and they had pulled up beside him, and Mose had tipped him off. You know, he, he kept saying 50, 5-0, 5-0. And so they realized then that we were around in the area. They took off an exit, and people tried to follow them, but we lost them. Yeah, I remember that. That was almost yeah. 
over there uh past uh what's the for, what's the place for, for forest the pl city yeah forest city yeah forest yeah, city yeah between forest city and west memphis yep yeah and mm. so we stopped and and i talked to most most said well i've got the number of the woman who lives at the house where i'm supposed to bring this dope where i've been bringing all the dope mm -hmm. and so her name was jerlene mcneil yeah, okay. she lived in whitehaven had a son and a, and a husband and had a great job at FedEx. But she yeah. was a good friend of Alice's. And so she was letting Alice and Curtis and them use her house as an unloading place and as a money place. And so we called Jerlene and record the phone call. And she says on the call, Lord knows where you've been. Everyone out on the road everyone's looking for you <laughs> well of course we knew at that time they, they were and yeah. he said I, I just got kind of uh, uh, held up but I'm on my way and so we went on to the house in Whitehaven I remember I, that's one of them stories I don't know nobody would believe that story what happened after we got to that house uh, it's something like written up in a book but you remember what happened well, I certainly remember what happened. Do you all have to tune in next time for part two with former DEA Special Agent Mark Chisholm. And believe me, you don't want to miss it. The Gladiator.